bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 6th, 2017. This week, I'm in Washington, D.C., so it's only fitting that our This Week in History feature is about me being in D.C. 15 years ago. That's right. This week, 15 years ago, Novogratz & Company hosted its second New Markets Tax Credit Conference, its first in Washington, D.C. At that event, then CDFI Fund Financial and Program Advisor Matt Josephs announced that the Notice of Allocation Availability for the very first round of the New Market Tax Credit Program would be released the following week. This was big news, to say the least. Just four days later, the CDFI Fund announced the opening of the $2.5 billion first round of the New Market Tax Credit Program. So, 15 years later, this week I am back in Washington, D.C. for the Novogratz 2017 Spring New Markets Tax Credit Conference. The conference is this Thursday and Friday, with pre-conference workshops starting tomorrow. We're happy to welcome back several representatives of the Treasury Department and the CDFI Fund, including CDFI Fund Director Annie Donovan and New Market Tax Credit Program Manager Bob Ibanez. Now, let's turn to this week's tax credit news. In our general section, we have news as to when the Trump administration plans to release a detailed tax plan. Then, I'll discuss one path that House appropriators are considering for passing 12 appropriations bills for fiscal year 2018. After that, I'll announce two congressional hearings. One is in the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development, and Related Agencies. And that hearing concerns the Trump administration's proposed fiscal year 2018 budget. The other hearing is in the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, and it's on the nomination of Pam Patnaud as HUD Deputy Secretary. In affordable housing news, I'll discuss a new methodology that was proposed by HUD on calculating fair market rents. Then, I'll outline a Louisiana state court decision on affordable housing property valuations. This decision could have significant consequences for affordable housing in New Orleans. In historic tax credit news, I have great news from two southern states. Now see if you can guess which states. In one, lawmakers have created a new state historic tax credit to replace a popular program that expired last year. The other state saw two bills strip the provisions to repeal the state historic tax credit. I'll give you another hint. Both states saw a temporary increase in the federal historic tax credit percentages under the Gulf Opportunity Zone Act of 2005. Have your guesses? Stay tuned to find out if you're right. And if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Trump administration said that it plans to give Congress a detailed tax reform plan after the August district and state work periods. This is according to National Economic Council Director Gary Cohn. Cohn also said that the administration prefers a complete overhaul rather than just a slimmed-down plan of tax cuts. The White House plans to continue negotiations with lawmakers through the summer in preparation for this detailed release. I'll keep you posted on any developments through the podcast and on Twitter. 
In other news, House Republicans are considering passing a 12-bill appropriations package for fiscal year 2018 before leaving for their district work periods in August. Now, if they decide to go that route, the timetable for accomplishing it will be very tight. First, congressional leadership must decide on the top-level discretionary budget for fiscal year 2018. Now, typically, Congress sets the discretionary budget as part of a budget resolution. And the House and Senate Budget Committees are expected to start drafting a budget resolution this month. By the way, the fiscal year 2018 budget resolution is also expected to have reconciliation instructions that will facilitate the passage of tax reform. However, it will be difficult to get a budget resolution passed by both chambers. That's because, in part, House fiscal conservatives want deep spending cuts to ensure that the federal budget is balanced within 10 years. But those spending cuts will be hard to pass in the Senate, where Republicans can afford to lose only two votes. Moreover, Congress is still using their reconciliation instructions in the prior budget resolution, the fiscal year 2017 budget resolution, to try to facilitate the passage of legislation to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, which is still pending in the Senate and not expected to be resolved until the August recess. So instead, congressional leadership will likely establish the overall discretionary budget level to enable appropriators to begin their work. And appropriators will have about seven weeks to mark up 12 bills before the August recess. Then, when they get back from recess, both chambers will be in session together for only 12 working days before the 2018 fiscal year begins on October 1st. Considering this condensed time frame, Financial Services Appropriations Subcommittee Chairman Tom Graves said he's floating the idea of bundling the 12 appropriations bills into one package. Congress often packages multiple spending bills into one bill when it fails to pass spending bills before the fiscal year begins, as it did recently for fiscal year 2017 in May. But passing an omnibus bill before the fiscal year ends would set a precedent. No matter how appropriators plan to pass the appropriations bills out of the lower chamber, the legislation would still face the challenge of getting Senate Democrats on board. Remember, the Republicans hold a narrow majority in the Senate with 52 seats. Barring any procedural changes, they'll need at least 60 votes to pass spending bills. I'll keep you posted with any updates in future podcasts and on Twitter. In other news, the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Transportation, Housing and Urban Development, and Related Agencies, or THUD, will have a hearing this Thursday, June 8th. The topic, the Trump administration's fiscal year 2018 budget request. The sole witness will be HUD Secretary Ben Carson. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, the Trump budget request includes $40.7 billion in aggregate HUD spending. That represents a $7.4 billion or 15.3% cut from the amount appropriated in fiscal year 2017. Fairly dramatic cuts are proposed for various programs, including for public housing, project-based rental assistance, and tenant-based rental assistance. Furthermore, the budget calls for the elimination of the Community Development Block Grant Program and the Home Investment Partnerships Program. I should note the budget request would lift the cap on the number of units that can be converted under the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. RAD currently has a limit of 225,000 public housing units. However, the public housing, capital, and operating fund subsidies that are used to fund RAD conversions would be dramatically reduced under the budget proposal. 
so it's not clear how many public housing units could be converted. Now you can read more about the proposed budget on my notes from the Vredic blog. Again, the budget hearing is in two days, Thursday, June 8th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The hearing will be webcast live, and I'll recap it for you in next week's podcast. Speaking of hearings, the Senate Banking Committee held a hearing this morning on the nomination of Pam Patnaud for Deputy Secretary of HUD. Pam serves as president of the J. Ron Terwilliger Foundation for Housing America's Families. Previously, she was the director of the Bipartisan Policy Center Housing Commission. Pam's also no stranger to HUD. She was HUD Assistant Secretary for Community Planning and Development under George W. Bush. As is the case with many cabinet positions, the HUD Secretary is the public face of the department and the Deputy Secretary oversees day-to-day operations. She will be introduced at her hearing by former Senate Majority Leader Bob Dole of Kansas and current Senator Gene Shaheen of Patnaud's home state of New Hampshire. I'll have more details for you about the hearing in next week's podcast. In affordable housing news, HUD has proposed three changes to the methodology used to compute fair market rents, or FMRs. As I'm sure listeners are aware, FMRs are used to determine payment standards for federal rental assistance programs, including housing choice vouchers under the Section 8 program. HUD calculates FMRs by assigning each area a standard quality base rent for a two-bedroom unit. That base rent figure is based on American Community Survey, or ACS, data. Now, the first proposed change is to the manner in which HUD selects ACS estimates for use in the calculation of FMRs. The second method change focuses on the way that HUD calculates the recent mover factor. And the third change that HUD's proposing is to use the gross rent estimates calculated by zip code tabulation areas to estimate small area FMRs directly. Now, I'm not going to go and explain the detail of each of these three changes. You can go online and read the details. I will note, though, that comments on the proposed changes are due by June 26th, and my partner Thomas Stagg says that HUD is hopeful that this process will generate more robust FMRs that will have less extreme changes from year to year. That would be good. Thomas said that, unfortunately, we don't have enough historical data from HUD to see if this change would actually generate that result. Now, HUD has released hypothetical FMRs for 2017, and we're analyzing the impact these three proposed changes would have on 2017 FMRs. We'll post our analysis on the notes from the Novak blog when it's ready, and I will tweet the link out once it's posted. In other affordable housing news, a recent decision by a state court of appeals in Louisiana has owners of low-income housing tax properties concerned. The appeals court ruled that the assessor, New Orleans, could use, and I quote, any generally accepted methodology in assessing affordable housing, close quote. This apparently includes valuing affordable housing as though it were market rate property. Those in the affordable housing world know this is a problem. Valuing rent-restricted properties as if they had no rent restrictions dramatically increases the tax bill for those properties, which makes them much more difficult to operate it affects their ability to stay affordable. Market rate properties, of course, generate significantly more income than low-income housing tax credit properties. In most areas of Louisiana and the rest of the country, assessors use an income-based approach to determine the property's value using actual restricted rents. The lawsuit that prompted the ruling 
came when a developer of affordable housing sites sued the Orleans Parish assessor over the inappropriate use of the sales comparison approach that considered only market rate or unrestricted properties. The Louisiana Tax Commission, which administers tax policy for the state, joined the lawsuit on the side of the developer. The developer and state commission won the initial trial, but the appeals court reversed the lower court ruling in May. The significance of the difference is illustrated by the fact that under the income-based approach, the tax value for the developer was just over $1.5 million. But with the sales comparison approach, using unrestricted properties as comparisons, the value was $4 million. Now, it's important to know that the state circuit court decision is limited to the New Orleans case and does not apply to other parishes. However, this decision could impact what other assessors do. The result could make local housing tax developments in Louisiana much less feasible. My partner, Brad Weinberg, in our San Francisco office, says these types of rulings have a significant effect on the affordability of low-income housing tax credit properties. Brad says that this type of change in the tax bill is enough to make a tax credit property fail to pencil out for developers. That could dissuade developers from building affordable housing. And of course, the real losers in that situation are the people who miss out on an opportunity to live in that affordable housing. This isn't the first time that the conflict between these two approaches has happened. There have been dozens of instances of lawsuits and legislation to address the issue, some of them recent. Missouri Governor Jay Nixon, for instance, signed a bill last summer that required assessors in his state to use the income-based approach while assessing low-income housing properties in general. It would be no surprise if we see legislation in Louisiana to address this issue. We will keep you updated. Turning now to historic tax credit news, were you able to guess the two Gulf Coast states with good state historic tax credit news? Well, if you guessed Alabama and Louisiana, you were right. Alabama's governor signed legislation to create a new state historic tax credit. The legislation passed in the State House of Representatives on the final day of the legislative session by a 91 to 1 margin. Two weeks earlier, it had passed the Senate by a 31 to 0 margin. When Governor Kay Ivey signed the legislation, the bill created a new program to replace a popular predecessor program that expired a year ago. The bill does, though, make a few significant changes to the previous program. For instance, it requires a historic structure to be at least 60 years old to qualify, compared to the previous requirement of 40. The bill also requires that 40% of credits be reserved for rural counties. Rural, by the way, means counties with fewer than 175,000 people. That restriction is also for the first six months of each year. If there are unclaimed credits after the first six months, the remainder of the credits can be used in other areas. The legislation also requires that the credits be sold for at least 85% of their value. The credit will be refundable, which wasn't the case under the prior state historic tax credit program. And the program will sunset at the end of the year 2022, if not extended. The Alabama historic tax credit does have an annual cap. It's $20 million per year. The previous historic credit was a three-year program and was extremely popular until it expired May 15th of last year. And last year, you may recall, a bill to extend the tax credit had overwhelming support in the state legislature, but the Senate pro tem wouldn't even let the Senate consider it, citing budget concerns. That decision came after the House passed a bill to extend it by a 91-4 margin. 
But now the state credit is back. If you want to learn more about using the Alabama State Historic Tax Credit or any other State Historic Tax Credit program, please contact my partner Tom Bosha in our Cleveland, Ohio office. As I said, the other state with good news is Louisiana. Provisions to eliminate the Louisiana State Residential and Commercial Store Tax Credits were taken out of two bills in the state legislature. Preservation Research Center of New Orleans reports that the lobbying efforts by community members led to the removal of the historic tax credit provisions. The Louisiana State Historic Tax Credit is a 25% credit until January 1, 2018, when it becomes a 20% credit. There is a $5 million annual transaction cap and no statewide cap. The credit is scheduled to sunset at the end of the year 2021. HB 355 and HB 362 each had provisions to repeal the state historic tax credit. Both bills are still alive, but fortunately without the provisions to eliminate the state historic tax credits. The regular legislative session in Louisiana ends this Thursday, June 8th. And if you want more information about state historic tax credit programs, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. One thing I do want to announce before we wrap up is that the 2017 edition of the Novogratic Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Handbook is now available. Order your copy at www.novaco.com products. And as I mentioned earlier, I am in Washington, D.C. for our Novogratic 2017 Spring New Markets Tax Credit Conference. If you haven't registered yet, you can still do so. Go to www.novaco.com events. I hope to see you here. And that's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.